Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Smith. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast. And if you love this podcast and you want some more tips and tricks on how to improve yourself, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. There are a ton of instructional videos there. You can find the links down below. However, my friends, my Limitless, limitless Life family, which I appreciate you being here, I have... A wonderful fella today, a wonderful fella, great conversationalist, good vibes, uh, have always had a very positive interaction with this fella. So that's one reason why I for sure wanted to bring him on as a guest. And this fella's name is Jefferson Zarate. Jeff, my man, welcome to the show. What's going on, Kyle? Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, my friend, uh, real quick, just so that uh, people understand the idea of uh, what it is you do, uh, how is it that you impact the lives of the people around you? That's a great question. Um, the way that I impact the lives of the people around me is just being really present and just being a good listener. I guess some people would ask you what you do for a living. And if you were to ask me, I started off as a personal trainer. And the way that I impact lives now is just creating a safe space for others to find good connection and for others to be able to create a better awareness of you know who, who they are. And that's just by, again, creating and having just a nice safe space where people want to come in better themselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and, and fulfilling what their destiny is, you know? So started off as, yeah, started off with a little bit of PT, went back to school and decided to, I guess, fill, fill the role a little bit better for each one of my clients and honestly, personally for myself, and then dived into a little bit more of nutrition. And now we've been able to create a really great health and wellness business. And that's what we're currently working on, just building it better and better. Nice. That's awesome. So before we were uh, hopping on to, before we started recording, we went down a couple solid rabbit holes, my man. And, uh, it was, it was quite, there's quite a bit of uh, notes that I took from that. So, uh, I think a common denominator that we both kind of, uh, have is a, I would say for, for myself, I would call it a, a highest priority value. But uh, it's openness to curiosity and childlike curiosity and childlike wonder and uh, kind of engaging with the world, not from a biased perception, but from an open or uh, this is where I'm going with it, but like an openness, connectedness uh, from that curiosity. And where where do you find, do you find that there is a point or has there been a point in your life where you can consciously think of a time where you went from autopilot thought processes to conscious curiosity? I've always found myself to be really curious and <clears throat> I may have been a little bit more constrained when I was younger because now that I think about it and now that I can self-diagnose, I've, I've always been a little bit more neurodivergent. 
and the schooling system just really, it gave me some really great friendships and it allowed me to socially connect with a lot of really great people. But I, I always found myself being pulled back down because I just wasn't really interested in school, just the way it worked. So like I said, I've always been really curious, but the way that I feel school used to be, the way that school used to be, the way it was developed was very kind of like, hey, here's pretty much what it needs to look like. Sit in your desks and everything. We're going to have certain tests. And it was just, it was a lot more structured than I found like my brain really worked at. So I found that I was always in and out of being really curious. Like I said before, I'm I'm a pretty big, I'm a pretty big extrovert and always have been. And I've always wanted just to connect with people. So I've never had an issue with just sparking up a conversation with someone, whether I'm in line at Sobeys or on a nice walk. But to answer your question, where I found that it just expanded was it would have been on it would have been right before COVID happened. And this was when I remember I dropped out of university. I started working at a car dealership and I was lost. I was a little bit lost in life. And I, I ended up, you know, going through a bad relationship that ended. I would say it was a bad relationship. But the way it ended was um, a lot of the things. It, it came from a lot of things that I did, I find. And from there, I just, yeah, I wasn't at a place that I was very happy. And I was just, I was always, I wouldn't necessarily say playing victim, but I was just, I was in this victim mindset. And then honestly, it just, it came one day and I just kind of flipped the switch. Relationship ended. Things with the dealership ended. I started pursuing fitness again. And ever since then, I met a really great friend who just got me a lot more open to start reading again, start taking a lot more time for myself, creating more empty space, which I think a lot of people, it's hard to nowadays, you know, like there's, uh, we're distracted all the time. It's always easy to distract ourselves, whether it's our cell phones, whether it's, you know, filling our to-do list more and more, um, just really helped me create a lot more boredom, I would say. And within that, I started coming up with a lot more things that really connected with me and things that were really important to me because I wasn't having any external stimulus to tell me what I wanted or tell me what it is I needed to do or tell me how it is I needed to live my life. So yeah, I would, I would truly say that I became a lot more openly curious three years ago, four years ago. Nice. So that boredom got, gave you the opportunity to not, to reject what you were taught to think. And instead you had the space to think of why you think that way. You could put it that way. I, I truly do think that in order to really figure out who you are, you, you need that space alone as well. Some people say like, it's important to figure out who you are when you're with other people, like the way you communicate and all these different things. But I find that it is equally or maybe even a little bit more important to have a time to yourself and to, to honestly start putting it in there, putting it in your day to, you know, sit with your thoughts, kind of see what comes up. And that's where I found, that's where I found myself best. And I continue to find myself best in those in those spaces. Nice. 
do you find that the, I found it for myself, the more conscious I have with having a, a practice of a solo practice, I guess, or a practice in yeah. uh, just more mindfulness or just being in my head. I find that uh, kind of, kind of it, once, once the, once the, the habit of that is established, then it becomes easier to go through those thoughts and those processes and to tr really kind of come up with uh, the idea of the person that I want to become. And I found that to be very, very, very helpful in, in that space. Because I think when we, or before for myself, when I was more so distracted, it was easier to be distracted because we didn't have to put in the effort of thinking, or I didn't have to put in the effort of thinking. And when it's, I think that self-reflection and going inwards is a lesson that a vast majority of people learn. And I think the only variable is the time the person learns it. So I think it's a lesson that everyone learns at some point in a lifetime, but the variable is the time. And some people learn it in their like eighties and nineties, and some people learn it in their early twenties. But I find that when there is a opportunity to listen and not be fearful of the thoughts that we have and understanding that we are auto that we are ultimately within control of our perceptions, our behaviors, and our actions, then we can actually figure out the person that we want to be, the behaviors, actions, and perceptions of that person. And then we get to become or get to experience life in a much more uh, fulfilling, purposeful, and fruitful manner. That was just a, more of a tangent, but <laughs> what, what actually this is kind of a cool question. Were you fearful of going inward? And for someone who is fearful of going inward, what would that conversation sound like for you? So to answer your first question, was I fearful of going inward? <clears throat> I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it fear, just I just didn't create that space. It, it, it's like I was unaware. Some people will call it blissfully unaware. You know, you're kind of on autopilot, you know, don't really care about much. You got your, you got your good job, nine to five. You're making good money. You're, you know, you got the good Netflix, you got your cell phones, you got your drinks out with the friends on the weekends and everything. And then I find that when you, when you do create that space and you would, when you do become a little, a little bit more aware, I find that, it kind of pushes you to want to go out and get a little bit more. It's like, who, like, who, who am I truly in some uncomfortable space? You know, like what, what do I want to achieve? And, and I find that now that I've been able to do more uncomfortable things, I've been able to, I guess, learn a lot more about myself and about, I don't, I don't usually like using the word potential, but I find that I'm able to better see what my potential is, you know? And I wanted to ask you, you were talking about distractions before, like what were things that really distracted you? What really pulled you out and kind of just had you? As in general, I would say for sure, Drinking was a distraction. 
because I'm still not drinking because I just see, or I, I see the very measurable difference in my output. So I just don't have a desire to distract myself with drinking. Definitely miss the taste of whiskey, but that I, that's one that immediately comes to mind because the, it's the, one of the biggest parts of my life because I'm also a very social person too. So it's just easy for me to go to a bar and chat with someone <clears throat> and just hang out and have drinks. But in that time, when I, whenever you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. So when I was saying yes to my drinking and my distracting, I was saying no to my potential and what I wanted, when I, what I knew I wanted to do, but my behaviors and my actions were out of alignment from what my wants were. So that distraction created internal conflict. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that would definitely be one. And then, uh, For the most part, I would say video games would have been one at one point. Even, even exercise has become a, a source of distraction for some cases, but I, I also look at it as if you're going to procrastinate with one thing, then at least procrastinate with something useful, like a productive procrastination. So I've been trying to be more mindful of if I'm procrastinating, is it actually going to help progress some variable of my life forward? That way, I know I'm still getting the steps for it. And I know that once one thing's done, then I have no choice but to re resort back to the initial thing. Because So I'll try to get, so if I want to procrastinate, I'll do a couple things that are productive to avoid doing the thing, but then I just eventually go back to the thing as well. So I try to set up my environment so it's uh, as little distraction as possible, or I'm a lot more mindful of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about yourself? No, that makes sense. Distractions. <clears throat> when you said drinking, it it really hit home with me because I distracted myself, I would say three to four days a week with that and pretty heavy drinking from the ages of right out of high school, 18, 18 till about 20, 23. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't just like one day out of the week. It was several days out of the week. And <clears throat> the thing is though, I was able to still do other productive things such as, you know, still get my workouts in, still work and all these things. So some people will call it like a functioning, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't deem myself an alcoholic or was an alcoholic, but like a functional alcoholic where I'd be okay. I'd be fine the next day. I'd be able to have a couple of drinks and still function and be able to progress forward. <clears throat> and so alcohol was a big one. I did used to smoke a lot as well. So smoking and alcohol were big. And it's funny you say exercise and it just, it made me curious because before, before we started um, recording, we talked about balance. Mm. And for me, I always found myself being I always found myself exercising and justifying that I was exercising, but I would be over-exercising. Like I would go twice a day, every day. And the thing is, sometimes it would be socially acceptable because, you know, whether you're working 18 hours, people are like, hey, great job. You're like really pushing forward. Um, whether you're working out way too much, but people are like, yeah, you're like, 
you're doing it because you're bettering yourself, all these things. And I'm wondering if there's like a certain limit and a certain cap where it, it starts to, you know, burn candle at both ends. I would say that there would be, because there's only a, there's only, <clears throat> there's, there's not an infinite amount of energy or anything that, that is within our human system, at least. So at some point, something is going to, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. Mm -hmm. So I think that at some point, if we're allocating a lot of energy to one particular thing, but not, but understanding that it's, we modulate it. So it's what, what, what degree should I put the dial today to work with the vision as well as with our being as is, but there, I, I would say that for anything that there's always going to be a point to which going past it is going to have the possibility of burning both, both ends for sure. It's just interesting because I find that there are certain socially acceptable addictions oh, yeah. that we like now drinking. have like drinking, mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. And the thing is like, I wouldn't, I w it wouldn't be fair for me to say like, oh, like that's too much because th this is from like my personal experience, but it's just, it's interesting, like what, what things are acceptable and then w what things aren't. So it's, it's always been something I've been curious about. So before we were talking about distractions, what pulled you out? What pulled you out of those distractions? Because I, I remember listening actually to a couple of podcasts and I think you said you've done a year, you did a full year sober. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and still then go ahead, sorry. No, no. And then I was going to say like, what, what started that? What motivated you to want to, you know, go sober for a year? Uh, it's actually pretty fun. So Kendra and I went down to a trip to go hang out with my parents. We went on a road trip around the Gulf of Mexico, which is really sweet. And then my family likes to party. And uh, that's the way I like, not like crazy party or anything like that. I just use that as like a general kind of umbrella, kind of fun way of putting it, but I like to party. Like it's, it's, it's awesome. I think it's, I enjoy it. It's how I got a lot of my like uh, social skills from, <clears throat> but we were drinking quite a bit. And then we came back and it was like, it was basically almost a month of just like, going hard with the, with the liquor. And we came back and I was just like, okay, I just need a break. And it was just started as a break. And then, uh, a month went by. So it was January and I was like, okay, cool. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm getting some stuff done. All right. All right. And then that's where I started thinking about where, and then just pushed it again. Now I do have a little loophole is, uh, I would, I would take a little THC bottles like the little drips and now go to the bar, I'll get a non-alcoholic beer and I would just drip those in. So I still get like the wooziness like everyone else is, but I just get a better sleep and I have better mornings. And the mornings is where I found the value. So I exchanged my uh, value system. So it wasn't the moment and the experience of the evening or of drinking. It was the impact of the mornings that, had a higher value than the experience of drinking. So then what kind of happened there is I just recognized that 
my output was significantly better. It was just more efficient, more effective. I was more, there's more clarity because there's less grogginess. And when we're drinking, it also decreases uh, our processing in the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for our logic and our um, reasoning. So if we're if our logic and our reasoning is being negatively affected, then we're not, we're going to make more dumb decisions, less smart decisions. So I was making most of my decisions from the amygdala, from just the fight, flight, feed and fornicate. So those are the main kind of, uh, <laughs> those are the F's of just baseline animal feels. So I recognized that I was making more thoughtful decisions rather than impulsive. I was being, a, I was a, I went from a creature of whim to a being of will. Then three months came around and it was on my bucket list for a while that I wanted to go a whole year without drinking. Cause keep in mind, similar to yourself, my, my, my drinking, I actually didn't really start drinking until I was like 18, 19. And then it was on other than one, one stint where it was three months without drinking. I believe it was three months. It was just drinking. Like there is, there was more days where there was alcohol than was not alcohol. And it was on my bucket list to go for a year. So I figured I was already three months in it's on my bucket list to go a year. I might as well take advantage of this three months and then just go the whole, the whole length. Because if I want to do my bucket list item, I'm going to have to do these three months anyways. So it was actually just a matter of convenience that I stopped drinking for a year. Yeah. It's so wild to think, <clears throat> like I said before, how acceptable like heavy drinking is. I'm, I'm never going to be the person to tell a person how they should go about living. But when someone, when someone is complaining of the way that they look, the way that they feel and all these things, and they are, you know, doing that on a regular basis, it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You were talking about sleep. I remember when the whoop first came out, it was this, uh, it was this wristband that you could wear and it would track your HRV, resting heart rate, and a couple of other metrics. Um, and it would do so by the autonomic nervous system. And I remember wearing this as I was still drinking or even on some nights that I would have a couple of drinks <clears throat> and you would just see, you know, your resting heart rate, let's say it's around 30, 38 to 42. And then the night that you did drink, it's at like 80, 80 or 90. And you're like, it's, it's so... Yeah. So yeah. I think the analytics behind it is freaking cool. Uh, Chris, do you know, Chris Williamson podcast, modern yeah. wisdom? Yeah. He, he says, uh, he has a cool quote that says alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it, people assume you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just having a conversation with a client and people, people don't like it when you're not doing what it is they're doing, especially when it's something like that, right? So it's hard for it's hard for people to, I don't want to say stand up for themselves, but to not, not want to drink, especially if it is something that they have done before. Because A, they have a group of friends who they usually go for a couple of drinks and you're the one person who doesn't. And then they're just like, hey, what's wrong? Like they, they think something is wrong with you because you're not doing it. And I mean, you are changing, you're changing something like you're not doing that. And that disrupts kind of the flow and everything, which is natural for you to assume that something is wrong. But being able to have a conversation, and like you said before, kind of think about yourself, you know, 
future present, I like to say, mm. is so beneficial. So it's, yeah, same thing with like, same thing with eating. You know, <laughs> if you're not eating out, people are like, people deem you to be like, oh, you're dieting. You don't need to do that. You don't need to lose weight. You look perfectly fine. And you want to, like, if you want to really better your health, you have so many people that are still kind of like pulling you down because they're not willing to do X or Y. Cause maybe that's not, uh, that's not a priority for them or yeah, maybe you're just making them feel bad. I definitely think that there is like a definite, I think that would definitely be one thing where, because it's, because our brains are lazy and we're going to go with the easiest way to organize our thoughts. So when someone is doing something that's different, we have to reorganize and recharacterize the person that we perceive. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when it goes from to a negative side, some people are just ignorant of it as well. So the ignorant part is uh, someone may, because it's also accepted that when someone offers, it's a gesture of gratitude. So when mm -hmm. someone is saying, you don't need to do this because you're already amazing, it's not taking the thoughts and the feelings of the person doing it into consideration. It is taking the narrative and the thoughts of the, of the person saying it. But I think something that folks don't think of is am I actually supporting this person by saying it's okay for them to go off of what they wish to be doing? And I think that that's like a, a spot that people don't think of. And I definitely think that there is the, the, the angle of our perceptions are our reflections. So if we are when, when we are perceiving things, when we are projecting, you don't need to do that. It also puts into our face, our own inadequacies yeah, or where yeah. we are dropping the ball for ourselves and we know it. Everybody knows where they drop the ball. That's just silly to think of when it's like, how could you improve your life? I don't know. I'll call bullshit. There's not mm -hmm. one person on this planet. I bet that thinks, Hmm, I bet you if I did this or I've been thinking about this for a while, I bet you if I did it, my life would probably be better. And it's so interesting. We're funny like that. Yeah, it's it's difficult, you know, because I find that in order to change a certain habit, a lot of the times you got to change like the environment. And I think some people find it even more difficult because that means changing the people that you're hanging out with. And I'm not saying like <laughs> you got to stop being friends with some of your friends, but if you're wanting to make a change, you know, you have to make a change. And a lot of the times I find that especially when it comes to weight, especially when it comes to drinking, these are more socially constructed things. And sometimes you got to pull yourself out of this in order to get to X. That doesn't mean forever. That may mean for a little bit, but it's just being able to embrace that reality. So it's, yeah. Kind of neat. <laughs> I like how you said, I like how you said, made the point of sometimes you got to leave it and then you can go kind of go back into it or integrate it kind of idea. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I like, <clears throat> I like how you said that because I think people think what we were talking about in absolutes kind of thing. Oh, I have to, I have to get rid of all my friends and family that I care about to, in order to do this. And it's like, no, no, no. You just need to take a step back so that you can actually see from a broader perspective with more depth rather than a shallow surface level 
way of thinking. It's like, you got it. I think when we experience the alternative, then we can make an informed decision of what we believe to be the best case or the best for us at that time, because we're making informed decisions rather than a decision of, Oh, I don't want to make my friends feel bad. It's like, well, that's well, if you're, if you're doing things so that your friends don't feel bad, are you going to perpetuate your own pain in order to help them feel good? And I think that's like an interesting little conundrum, but when we actually get to step away from it, then we get to get to see it, get to experience it. And in, in a way that maybe we wouldn't have been able to before just given the environment. I totally think that I agree with you where there's like a little bit of a, like a gestation period where we work on what we truly value. There's a, there's this old saying, I'm going to bosh it. It's, it's like, you can't see the forest when you're stuck in the trees kind of deal. And you got to be able to get a little bit uncomfortable with having to step back and actually seeing what's happening and feeling, you know, the, the repercussions of, of changing that. Cause then from there, I find that you may be able to be a little bit more aware of, you know, what it is you are actually working towards and how it is you want to feel. <clears throat> Yeah. I like that. I'm curious. I'm curious to ask you a question. What motivated you to come into the health space? Now that it's growing more than ever before, what motivated you to want to do what it is you're doing now? That's a cool one. Uh, it's also cool because I think this is the first time I'm sharing it on the podcast too. So it's a double whammy. Thank you for the question. Uh, so what got me into it is I was working in the restaurant industry beforehand. Uh, high pressure, high stress is not exactly the most conducive to a healthy long-term, um, health. Well, at least the way that I was participating in the industry, there's definitely like for the cooking industry and okay. Cooking. Yeah. And then, uh, basically I just, I knew, I knew working out, I knew of working out. I knew the, at least for sports and athletics, very seldom went to the gym myself. So I actually got myself a coach and this coach looking back on it, I was like, Oh, you know what? It, it wasn't the, it wasn't the coach, but it was the experience. And what I experienced was a very positive integration of health and how to move properly. And just, just a whole bunch of just, yeah. An integration of health and turning it into something that just really felt good. And the experience that I got from that coach, I wanted to introduce to other people. And that was the idea. And I also knew that I wasn't, I was most likely not going to go to like a really extravagant uh, post-secondary schooling. I wasn't going to be a physiotherapist or a kinesiologist or anything like that. So I went with, uh, what did I go with? I went with CanFit Pro for that one for first coaching certification because uh, it just worked the most effectively for my learning style. Apprenticeship programs, I'm really decent at, but schooling stuff is a little bit tougher. But basically got my foot into the door. And then with that positive experience of being introduced into the gym and the possibilities that can go from there, my driver was to do the same thing for others. And the cool thing is my very first client 
who I have not had on the podcast yet, but I will. My very first client, Andrea Trouton. She went from not wanting to be at the gym at all. Like she's now doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for competitions. And if her present self went to her past self, her past self wouldn't believe her. Like this is how much of a change it was. And this was over 10 years ago. So my very first client, after me having this positive experience of bringing someone in and having a positive experience as a first-time gym goer, then being able to provide that same experience, I was able to pay it forward. And that was what really uh, locked things in. When I, when I had that sequence of events, then I was like, oh, shit, this is fucking cool. And so that was kind of how I got into it, just wanting to improve myself, found myself having a better experience than I ever anticipated, and then wanting or developing the desire to perpetuate that fulfilling, it was a f- sense of fulfillment in being able to bring people in to become healthier and to become uh, a better quality human being for not only themselves, but the people around them. And I find that health is wealth. There's the idea of generational wealth, but we can have power over our generational health. And if we can improve the wellness and the lives of uh, the people around us who may ultimately become parents, then those parents can then perpetuate that generational health forward. And then Ed Milet says that every person is the one in their family. And if there's a long line of people that do not make the healthiest decisions, it only takes one person in that family line, in that lineage, in order to change the trajectory of a lifetime and multiple lifetimes. So that was how I got into it. That was the experience and the fulfillment that I got from it. Having my first client really emphasize it. Oh, and then Andrea became a coach and trainer herself. We both registered for our businesses at the same time too. So it's very similar. Like it's a good like sequence of events, but that was pretty much what got into. And now, and now the reason as to why I do it now and why I continue to do it is because there is something beautiful when people realize that they can depend on themselves because what we depend on makes the rules. And if we're depending on external circumstances, the change in order for us to feel fulfilled in our own lives and our existence depends on external circumstances, the external circumstances have been here long before us. It's going to be here long after us. So if we are not capable of depending on ourselves, the external world's going to make the rules. When we can depend on ourselves, we make the rules. We become autonomous. I was just I was just thinking about that word autonomy. It's just because <clears throat> for for me, being successful coach is just giving someone else autonomy, giving someone else a lot more confidence and competence in in their health and the positive ripple effect that comes from establishing, like you said, generational health, it really kind of really hit my, uh, really hit my, uh, I was going to say it really hit my heart. It's like a bell where the thing with that is, is that the thing that makes me happy is not, not when I get referrals, but when, clients friends or even my family's friends come to me and say i've seen a change in this person and it has inspired me to make a change and then that just goes on and then that goes on i love it yeah it's 
So what's uh what's your origin it's, story? Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, finish with your thought there. No, 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 no. It's okay. No, I was just gonna say, it's it's one thing to to want to change for yourself, to want to change in everything. It's another to want to change for yourself and then turn into a giver. I find that the more that you have, and the more that you're connected with yourself from like a healthy standpoint, emotionally, physically, and all these things, the more that you realize that you like giving, the more that you realize that you, you love supporting. And that's what I found. Some of the most unhealthy people that I found are the, some of the most selfish people because they're just, they're just not, they're not happy and the world's happening to them. Their world's not happening for them. Like you said, external, like these external and internal. And I've seen some of the most positive changes emotionally and mentally and that's just been passed down and I can, I can be happier to be able to not been a part of that, but being able to create a space for them to come to that realization themselves. You'd be a catalyst. So I, I, I loved that. Yeah. 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 Uh, what was I going to say on that one? There's something. Yeah. I find going with what you're saying. It's, it's the idea of coming from a place of abundance or a place of scarcity as well. Whereas give, give, yeah. give, or take, take, take. Or it's a place of uh, infatuation or resentment. It's like, I'm infatuated with helping people because I know how that can ripple out into many. But then you can go from a place of resentment. I don't want to help people because I want to be the best. And it's like, this person sucks or something silly like that. What's your origin yeah. story? What got you into wanting to help folks? Started with, I'm going to save a lot of people time. I'm going to do it real fast. So I was always into sports when I was younger. <laughs> I could go wrong. I could go a long way. I was always into sports when I was younger. And, you know, I was always a bigger kid. I always, I loved eating. I still love eating. And it's definitely something that I have to be mindful of. And finally, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not from a negative space from a positive one, but I'll digress there. So I was always a bigger kid. Always loved eating. I remember my neighbor living right beside me. I would have two dinners every day. I'd have a dinner at my place, have a dinner at his place. So as the years went on, I came to about 15, 16 years old in junior high. I was at my heaviest that I've ever been. So I was close to about 250 pounds. And I wasn't, it's not that I was unhappy. It's just that there were certain things that I couldn't do that other kids could do. Like I wasn't the fastest kid. I had to shop for certain clothes. And if they didn't have like a double XL, I had to go somewhere else. And, and then I just remember just having a personal trainer, just like you, it sounded like it sounded like a similar experience because it wasn't the trainer that changed me, but it was the experience that I learned from it. And the thing that I love telling people is that you don't have to go to the gym, but like exercise and movement in general is going to teach you a couple of things because you're going to develop, you're going to begin to learn that you have to get uncomfortable in order to start seeing some changes. There's a new stimulus that is required to create a new adaptation, right? Yep. The second, the second thing is going to be consistency. You have to be consistent in order to see some results that you want to see. So from a young age, you know, getting to the gym, I remember I had to sign something. I had to bring my my mother to come in to sign something because I was underage working out at the gym. And then from then on, 
yeah, I remember going into high school, people were like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? What happened? And then I, I found some competence in something during that time. And I was the person that people were coming to for some gym knowledge. So then I was like, <laughs> it was just, it was always a safe space for me. So then come grade 12, everyone's like, what am I going to do? I had no idea. I remember all my friends were going to um, Campus Saint-Jean because I was in French Immersion. So I'm like, okay, hey, I'll go into sciences because everyone's going to go. So I went, dropped out after a month because I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't like it here. And then lucky enough, my mother told me to go to Nate to do. So then dropped out, got into Nate. I was in there for a couple months and I'm like, this is going to take a two, this is a two year diploma before I'm done. So then I did my CAFIT Pro and I was, <laughs> so then I did my CAFIT Pro. I was still 17 because I graduated younger. Got my CAFIT Pro at 17. I started working at my first gym at 17 because the guy who was teaching it, because it was a weekend course, took me under his wing and it was at a private gym called Marked Improvement. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I deferred. I remember I, I didn't even finish my Nate diploma because I just, I started working. I started working. I was learning the best from what I would say was one of the better trainers that I knew when I was younger. And then, yeah, that was at 17. And then I kept on working. I started, I, I did my first bodybuilding show and that taught me a lot. It also, I would, I would say it really showed me my relationship with food. It showed me how, you know, how stuck I was in this pendulum and that gave me so much more interest in figuring out why I was having these issues like why I was so in and out when it came to food and why this relationship was very skewed so because I remember after doing that bodybuilding show at 18 I, I was that guy to come to restaurants with like a Tupperware container and <laughs> and I wasn't embarrassed I tell I would tell him to heat it up and most restaurants would be nice enough to heat it up. So it was, and uh, yeah, so I remember I just, I became very orthorectic. And then I was like, I gotta, I gotta fix something. Cause you know, I'm skipping out on a couple of social gatherings. I'm not eating out with my partners because of X reason. And I don't, I don't think that that's right. Especially at a young age like that. So then from there, I went back to school to do my bachelor's science in kinesiology. And then I remember I, because my previous schooling didn't go that well, it was a, it was four years. So it was two years at GMAC, two years at U of A. So then I was going into my third year doing it at U of A, specializing more. I was more interested in nutrition. And then I, I was always thinking about physiotherapy. And during that time, I was, I was doing different personal training jobs. Like I was at private gyms, I was at your local box gyms. And there was just something missing there. You know, there was, we were only focused on selling the client something. And then just, we were with them for that one hour for just a session for just a one hour PT session, which was really 40 minutes. And outside of that, you know, I, w I wasn't seeing them. And at the end of the day, in order to make some great changes, I believe that movement is one of the biggest things that we can do and is. But it's also the other 23 hours that we have in our day that's equally as important or not. Mm -hmm. So realizing that, I, I wanted to be able to encompass a lot more. So I went back to school while I was there. Um, I was enjoying my classes, but at the same time, like I said before, I was kind of stuck in this place where I was partying a lot. I was still drinking quite a lot. 
So then I deferred from school on my last year and uh, decided to work as much as I can to make the best money. So I could just party a little bit more, to be honest. So I left, I was doing PT. I was also selling some vehicles. And then that's when this big shift came into my life. And I was like, I'm not happy. It's the most money I've ever made. I'm partying more than I ever have. You know, I'm, I'm looking okay on the outside to everybody. Cause I'm still like keeping physically fit and doing X, Y, Z, but I personally wasn't happy. Mm. And then, <clears throat> and then I, yeah, things, certain things happened with relationships, with work, made a big shift towards pursuing what it is I truly wanted to do, which is what I was doing before, but I was trying to figure out how I can go about doing it in a way that I wanted to. And that's when I decided to start my business. So then I left all of that. I remember I was teaching a couple classes at different gyms uh, here in Edmonton and I was loving it. I was loving teaching people and then COVID happened. And then that's where the birth of my business came from. That was very long winded, but I thought it was fantastic. I there's definitely yeah. uh, a lot of parallels. That's kind of cool. That's very cool. So mm-hmm. where do you have do you have a uh, like kind of like a, a main vision or a main purpose or uh, a highest priority value that kind of plays into your trajectory? Do you know where it is that you kind of want to go, or why is it that you do what you do? <clears throat> There's this really great quote that I heard, and it's that an illness in our lives is that we live on the surface, like we're living. And and some people can call it an illness, some people can call it a disease. But for me, I would have never said I was a depressed kid. I had great friends. I had an incredible mother growing up. But to myself, I found that I was always living on the surface, meaning I just, I wasn't ever... I wasn't ever really truly like in love with who I was because there was just so many other things to really focus on, you know? So to answer your question, the reason I do and what our vision is, is to create a space for people to create a bit more connection with themselves, to create a lot more awareness with themselves. And the, the way that I do it for my specialty is, you know, I've been doing personal training for more than 10 years now. Um, nice. I have a good team now who's, specialized in nutrition, even though I have gone through different nutrition courses in university, even though I have certifications, I believe that certain people need a dietitian or a nutritionist because that's not, that's not my lane. But with these different modalities, I find that if we're able to give someone a lot more confidence and that someone confidence can be running longer to another one that could be losing body fat to another that could be having more energy. If I could do one thing that could help them create a better connection and more confidence with themselves then that's that's given them a lot more depth to this life because this life is so it's so fucking beautiful and to be able to really enjoy you know to enjoy what life has to offer because life is so insultingly short now is is what i honestly believe that i was put on this earth to do you know and That's our, that's our, that's our mission. Our mission is to grow. And the thing is, I used to think that I wanted to have this huge business, but I really just, I want to have, I want to have a business that's not, you know, 
miles wide, but I wanted to have it like miles deep so that I can connect better with each and every single person that I work with, not just a business who's wanting to make a quick buck or make a bunch of money. So it's been, it's been a big journey over the last, I'm not even going to lie, over the last two years trying to decide where I want to go with this because I wanted to grow this big business. But then at the end of the day, I find that I get more disconnected from clients. You know, you can have a bigger impact, which is great. Like you could help more people or you could really help these people that you're working with, right? And this is where Seth Godin comes into play where it's like, you you really don't need a lot of people to have a good business. You like, you like you genuinely don't. You need a hundred people who believe in what you say and that's it, right? And I was always searching for more and more people. And then that takes away from the clients themselves, you know? So- I don't know if that answered your question. If that answered no. your question, I thought that was a I thought that was a fantastic answer because your the way it sounds the way you articulate the way I see it is you know I think your vision is it's going to refine as you progress, but you have the place of abundance and you're coming from a place of positive intentions. So I think that something that I think is really a cool concept is the idea that you don't need to you don't need to be confident in the skills and traits you have presently you just need to be confident in your intentions and if you're confident in your intentions then the rest is just going to come along with it and i think when i think that a lot of the companies that have like exploded over time or businesses that are making the uh, biggest impact on people are ones that shifted from that shallow th- or shallow or just sp- spread wide to go rather than going wholesale went much more uh intentional more depth uh so being able to being able to see the impact that you want to make everything else just comes along with it over time it's just developing yeah. skills acquisitions surrounding <laughs> yourself with the right peeps at the right time and then the rest of it just kind of falls in but I think that having the baseline of in your heart wanting to help and give is probably one of the best places to source from. Because there's so much power that comes from, you know, your brain and then also your heart. And then I just find that, like I said before, I find that when the healthier that people get and, you, and the thing is, there's so many different metrics that you can look at a, what healthier means. But the more that people, I find, connect with themselves, the more that they, the more that they truly want to give others. Like I said before, and then that's just that's just the ripple effect that I think is gonna make this world a better place. It's just like being a better person means being a better person to yourself, and being a better person to yourself means taking care of yourself, right? And I'm not gonna be one to say that you know it's easier and harder for others. I'm a I don't have any kids. I don't have any dogs. I have a partner. And a lot of these things like eating healthier, you know, having time to go to the gym, sometimes even twice a day, it's easier for myself, whereas it may not be easier for others. So it's always making sure that you're meeting them where they're at. Right. And that's where I just, I just don't like the idea of like now that social media is a huge big thing, which is, you know, such a double-edged sword. Um, people are always saying like, if you're not seeing certain changes and you're not, you know, doing certain things then you're lazy, like that means you're lazy, you know? And it's just, 
I find that it's hard to look at it that way because, you know, people's life and people's circumstances are all so different, right? And I've worked with enough mothers. I don't even want to say single mothers, but enough mothers who've had a couple of kids who are, you know, you look at the, their schedule and it's just like, it's like this, it's wild, right? So yeah, that's um, that's pretty much where we're, where we're heading and why we're heading there. I think it's good and, stuff, man. No, yeah, I... I love it. And the big thing for me is, is uh, there are two words that I always tell my clients I remember, or even it doesn't even have to be clients. The first thing is like embracing reality. And the second one's actionable integrity. Nice. I like those. So when I say that, what do you, what do you think about embracing reality? What does that mean to you? Are you asking as a question or are you asking yeah, like, as yeah. a, embracing reality? embracing reality to me mm. embracing reality is Okay, this is going to be an interesting one. Embracing reality to me is the authority the consciousness Embracing reality is the Embracing reality is recognizing the consciousness as the captain of the vessel, the vessel being the body. And then recognizing the objective or subjectives rather than as a whole truth. So objectively, there's the laws of the universe that <clears throat> are going to always perpetuate long before. They have been there long before us and long after us. So there's like Newtonian physics. So those are laws of the universe. There is the... Uh, there's the concept of like the, the law of attraction. There's a law of abundance. Uh, and I think that those could be objective truths because even from an anecdotal subjective standpoint, a vast majority of people or a vast majority of individuals that have embraced these forms of reality have found the most abundance in their life. So embracing reality to me means to recognize what we do have control of and don't have control of and empowering and giving ourselves permission to be kind of like that Invictus poem, the captains of our soul. And by embracing reality, we realize probably common lessons like at the end of the day there's more there's more things that are within our control that we are allowing to rule us rather than imposing our own power so i think embracing reality there's going to be i guess there's a couple points to it but i think embracing reality is the concept of 
realizing how much power the person has rather than being a victim of circumstance or uh, scenarios not working in favor of because embracing reality is also recognizing how insignificant we are. And from there, we have freedom. Hmm. It's an interesting thought process. Hmm. <laughs> so I think, I think that if the subjective, if the subjective, if the subjective is trying to control the external world to mold it in a way that is not starting with our perception of the world, that is not embracing reality. That is trying to fight reality. Something like that. I don't know. That was just on, no, on the I fly. Love that. That I love that. That was, a, that, was a, that was a great question. You got me on the fly because I thought of it. I'm like, fuck, that's like embracing reality and actionable integrity. I thought to myself, I'm like, shit. I started thinking like before he asked, I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> I love that. I think it's great. The thing is, it's a, it's a tenant, right? It's a tenant to so many things. And for me, one of the, like one of the most important things I've learned is that, like you've said before, there are certain things that are out of our control and we have to realize that, but there are certain other truths, you know, I don't, I'm not going to lie and say, I, I give myself positive affirmations every single day, but there's a certain energy that we get to like a certain frequency. And the more positive that we are, and the more we go into this good space, the more that we're going to attract good things. Because the problems that you have come from the problems that you have kind of deal, you know? Mm. And it's, and when I say that to, when I say that to someone, when I say that to anybody, it, ge it gives them a lot more power and will that they, that they do have control of what it is they are doing and embracing things that, you know, aren't going to change and can't change, but then also embracing things that can. And when they, when they see that, it's just, it's just so helpful in evolution. And cause I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like the word transformation, but it's just an evolution. Like we're just evolving as time goes on. So, yeah. I, I like that too. I like, I, I prefer, I prefer evolution over transformation as well. Um, yeah, cause yeah. I think, I think transformation implies that it's from this to that rather than a sequence yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. What's your business's name? Warrior body coaching. Warrior and body then, coaching. That's right. Yeah. And th so that's what it's registered as, but mm -hmm. in the last chunk of time, there's, it, it's come from the warrior body, but still having a philosophical standpoint. And yep. so one that's been, I've been playing around with is the uh, adapter dude fit philosophy. So okay. it's the adapter dude is what I would, what I refer to as my inner role model. So my okay. inner role model, the person that I look up to is adapter dude. And then we have an inner rival and it's funny that inner rival, I, uh, named that person, uh, Mr. Simpleton. And, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. So the dapper, right? So the dapper dude is kind of like an idea that I have floating around, and just given 
the podcast being called the Limitless Life Podcast. I think uh, a limitless lifestyle uh, pairing would be appropriate as well. That way okay. I have everything kind of integrated together. So limitless lifestyles definitely up there. Warrior body coaching and warrior boot camp was the very first one. And I love it. Kind of went from yeah. just evolved. Evolution. Evolution. Like said, ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nerds. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, my man, I know you, you got to be wandering off pretty soon here, I believe. Is that correct? I'm gonna. Is it okay if I ask you one more question? Yes, of course. And then I got two for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, awesome. What What is actually okay? Let's go two for two. Okay. What is something that you changed your mind on recently? Oh, great question. Great question. Uh, something that I changed my mind on recently. The thing that I changed my mind on recently, I wouldn't say is as recent as I think of it, but I think I've become more aware of it presently. Uh, it would be, okay, I got a couple on this one. So one would be, <clears throat> one would be that This is going to be an interesting one. It's going to be an interesting one. This is just subjective, only me. But for us, I don't, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but there is a large emphasis on the past that someone experiences and society enabling a past to be perpetuated into the present to enable us to prevent progress. And I talk about that part a lot, but the main idea behind it is that we spend too much time and too much mental energy living in our past experiences that we take away the energy and the cognitive space in order to visualize a different future. So I used to think that our subjective past was extremely important in the development of who we are, which is true, which is true. However, I think that there is more power in the person. And if we think of where we want to be, who we want to become and have those conscious thoughts, and there's folks that, and I've been there before where it's like, well, I don't know where I want to go. Well, think about it. And instead of thinking about how shitty your past was and using that as a way of getting out of doing the things that you want to do, figure out how to get to where you want to go. So there's a big emphasis on the past. It's always past, 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 past. And I think that we can draw information from the past in order to make smarter decisions in the present. Mm -hmm. And I find that we're more so coached We're because we can only learn from people that know how to do things. And a lot of people don't know how to form a future that is full of purpose. 
that is full of fulfillment, that is full of joy. Because we feel like we are stuck in the past, but what we're doing is we're just living Groundhog Day over and over and over again. And I think that every decision that we get the opportunity to make is a change in the trajectory of our life. Sort of. No, I and the thing that really resonates with that is I completely, I completely agree with that notion. The only thing is, is that we were talking about generational health. Mm-hmm. And then you also got to talk about generational trauma and how that sits in your body. And the thing is, unless someone has taken the time to do the work and learns how to do the work on that, mm-hmm. I find that's when they get stuck in this groundhog day or that's when they, that's when they are doing something in their life that is impacting them from that capital T trauma, you know, whether, you know, they're eating a copious amount of food because X, Y, Z happened in their past. And like they don't even have connected the dots to as to like why they, they've turned to that comfort. Right. Mm-hmm. So I find that we need to first come to the realization that we do hold things within our body from our past experiences. And even from, you know, our parents' past experiences. Right. But I think once you've done that, then we could come to being more present future living Three. or present, present future being. Yeah. I messed that up. <laughs> no, I, I thought, yeah, I got it. You're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think the, to add to that as well <clears throat> is that everything that we do or everything that we behave as is, is learned. It's all learned behavior. And I think that uh, generational trauma are wounds from people that could not heal themselves and hurt people, hurt people, healed people, healed people. So I think the struggle is when folks are oblivious, which totally fine. Like there, this is the whole thing, but the main point is still the same where we don't, some folks don't realize how much power and autonomy they have in order to be able to change the trajectory. And I think that there is a narrative that trauma is the end all be all. You cannot change anything in any way, shape and or form. I think that folks, or at least I have for myself viewed trauma as an absolute rather than an experience to modify how I want to interact with the world. And then it just comes back down to the main point of intentions of good intention, bad intention, ill intention, positive or ill intention, positive intention. And I would define each as positive intention. What is good for the greater? What is, what is appropriate for the greater good of human beings? Ill intention is there is ill, there is harm done to one person or uh, another, whatever. Anytime that there is a win-lose, it is a lose-lose. When there is a win-win, then it's a win-win. Anything outside of a win-win, both both parties are losing. So if we are able to understand our parents and then the relationship with their parents' parents, then that's good because then we can understand that we can see because when we can actually understand when we can understand the thoughts behind the actions 
then we can understand why they do the things they do rather than just seeing the things as surface level. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. We don't know why people are doing it until we discover why. So if we have just that surface level tip of the iceberg perspective of, oh, so-and-so did this, 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 or this, or like whoever to me or for me, or I've done it to them because we always remember, we always seem to forget that we are also the assailants in another person's life. We're not always a victim. We're also the douchebag. Mm-hmm. And I think when we realize, I think when we realize, oh, maybe I'm actually being the douchebag to myself because we also perpetuate it to ourselves. So we treat ourselves like shit because we were taught, oh, when we feel like shit, we treat ourselves like shit. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but whatever. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it was a pretty good one. Did you say there was a set? Was that the was that a second question too, or did you have this one? one? This one, this one's going to be short. Okay. So if you had a, I got this from a an, an author that I like, but it's if you had a billboard that was outside, okay, it's this big billboard that's going to be there forever, and you had to put one saying on it, what would it be? It would say it would probably say keep up the kindness to yourself first then to others that's what i would probably go with or or some some degree of <clears throat> it would be something that'd be more of a reminder and the reason why yeah. i would say or how i close out the podcast usually uh, it would also, okay, this one's probably a little bit more fun, but it, it would, okay, this is what I would have. This is my actual answer. But on the billboard, it would say, I hope your day treats you as good as you look. Mm. And I think that would be a fun one too, because it's subjective. It, it, it requires a little bit of reflection. And I hope that because people can be beautiful souls, beautiful spirits, but they can be, yeah. but so it, so someone can look at themselves and be like, I hope I just provide some goodness. And I think that that would probably be one. Those two, those two would be fun. Hmm. What about you? Which one? Which question? Bill, uh, not the billboard one. Actually, uh, yeah, let's go billboard. Let's go billboard. That's a good one. I've never had to get back. What I would say on a billboard would be love yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah, I like that. It's so interesting because it's like, it's, oh, sorry, were you going to go an explanation there? No, 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 no. That's it. I think it's so interesting because the way I think of it is I don't like, I I think, I think self-love is a lot simpler than we 
put it, make it out to be. But when we are trying to be self-loving, people perceive that as selfishness. And I think selfishness is good because then we can fill up the cup ourselves and then we're able to perpetuate that goodness outwards. But I think it's interesting how we talk about like the idea of self-love often, or at least I hear it often, but I don't see very many people practicing it as some, some along like that, like to the extent or the ratio from how it's marketed or how much it's marketed to us to how much I actually see people quote unquote consuming self-love the ratio is off. It's like a four to one ratio, I would say. And the thing with me is that loving yourself is loving, it's loving others. Like that's, that's loving yourself. It's giving, like I was saying before, it's this, it's this ripple effect of giving to others, loving others is to love yourself, you know? Yeah. I think that that is also a universe to me as a universal law where we are actually, we are all one connection rather than this, than this divisiveness that we all seem mm -hmm. to perceive. It's like, no, no, no. We're just, if you take, if you take us out like astronauts, uh, the, I forget who it was, but astronaut space station and is seeing the world and, and, and the astronauts, like it is so petty the things that we fight over and our squabbles. And there is a collective oneness that we are all birthed from the same point in time, no matter what a belief is, where there is things, where there is creation, it had to be created at some point, no matter how that was. And when we find that love within the self, then there is more love that is coming back to us in that same way. I don't know where I was going with that one. It just kind of like popped up on that thought. But I think I think yeah, when we find yeah. that that love, when we find that love within, we find the oneness of love as a collective whole. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Great. All right. Well, I got I got my two questions for you now, my man. <laughs> got like freaking four. Got ending it with four heavy duty questions, just like super awesome. Well, Balls. uh. But before I wander on out, dude, I just want to say thank you very much for being on this podcast. It, I, I've always had a fantastic conversation with you, and I just wanted to at least record it for once. And then that way it can pop out there. Whoever listens to this probably get a little bit of at least like a different little thought process or at least like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, what I really hope is that uh, there is someone out there that listens to this that chooses to give themselves permission to love themselves rather than be an asshole to themselves. And I, I think that's going to be kind of cool. I think there's a lot of good vibes here, man. Good vibes. Yeah. So after saying that positive a little bit, we're going to take it dark. So going to set the scene. You're on your deathbed, right? It's the end of your days. This podcast doesn't exist. Nothing exists. Your sweet reels that you've been making, they don't exist either. Uh, you're surrounded by the people that you care for. What piece of advice do you want to pass on to those people? I'm surrounded by the people that I care for. I'm on my deathbed and I have to give them a piece of advice. <clears throat> uh, 
that piece of advice would be just cherishing their relationships, their connections, their family, their friends, just cherishing those relationships so that when they're on their deathbed, they have them supporting them. Mm. Yeah. For me, a big thing in this life, man, you look at, there used to be this thing called blue zones before. I don't know. They haven't spoke about them recently, but they, what this concept is, is that these people have, the most centenarians, which is people who've lived to a hundred or past a hundred. And you will, funny enough, I should say, you will find that in these places, people don't have access to gyms. People don't have access to organic food stores or anything. They have access to their close family members and their close friends. And, you know, just whatever food that they're foraging from wherever they are. Cause a majority of these places are like in the place in Asia, some places in Greece, Italy and all these things. So one of the most important things for us is connection. So that's why I answered right like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. Next question. The final question. This is, this is one of my favorite ones. This is a good self-reflection one. So the very best version of you, the role model version, the inner role model is sitting next to you right now. What piece of advice will that Jefferson give you for this season of your life? Be authentic. Nice. Yeah. That's a gooder. I dig it. I dig it. Right on, dude. Well, that is the end of that one. So, folks, if you love today's episode, well, first, where can people find you, Jeff? Where can people find me? So, we're rebranding right now. My company used to be called Zorati Lifestyle. It is now called Being and Becoming. So, they could find me at thisisbeingandbecoming.com. They could also find me at Jefferson Zorati on Instagram. Jefferson Zarati on Facebook and LinkedIn. So nice. right on, dude. All right. Now that's what I've got for you in today's episode. And if you love today's episode, please do me a favor right now. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me with my handle at Dapper Dude Kyle, along with at Jefferson Zarati, which is spelt like karate, but with a Z instead. That is one of the ways that we grow. And until next time, my friends, keep up the kindness, and I hope your day treats you as good as you look.